One of the things that we spend a little bit of time talking about is what not to say to people who are grieving. And they tend to be the things that all of us, just by instinctual reaction, do say when we meet up with friends or family at a funeral home or who have just lost a loved one. Like, it's for the best. Except it doesn't feel like it's for the best to us. And so how useful that line is, is left to your understanding and thinking. Or people that will come and say, they're in a better place now. The problem being, while they might indeed be in a better place, you aren't. Or at least they didn't suffer. Well, for Christians, the answer that I always feel in my heart is, well, why didn't God just stop the suffering some other way than death? Death seems like an awful long way to go just to make it so that somebody doesn't have to suffer anymore. And maybe the worst line of all, and we've all said it, in fact, sometimes even I have been tempted to say it, everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be all right. No te preocupes. Don't worry about it, as we say in Spanish, because it's all going to work out. Now, why is it such a terrible thing to say? It seems like a nice thing to say to somebody that, hey, hang in there. In a few days or a few weeks or a few months, it's all going to work itself out. Everything's going to be fine. Well, the problem with that statement is that in moments of hurt, moments of grief, moments of pain and suffering, we can't always see the other side. It's hard to see how things could possibly ever be fine sometime in the future, because right here and right now is where we are, not tomorrow or in the ever after. We might very well be like the people of the house of Israel, as the Lord described them to Ezekiel. Our bones are dry and our hope is cut off. Sometimes Sophia asks me before I go on a trip, what if something happens to the plane? What if something happens to the car while you're driving around? And of course, the gut instinctual reaction as a dad is to say, everything's going to be fine. But how do we know that? What if things aren't fine? And for a great many people, that turns into the reality. And it's why everything is going to be fine is often a terrible answer. Today is the last Sunday of Lent before we enter our Holy Week celebration. It's hard for me to kind of process that. It seems like Lent has gone by so quickly, especially with these last two weeks, seeing you all on a screen instead of face to face. But the last Sunday of Lent is always reserved for the grandfather of all miracles, the big one, raising of Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus, who could not have been mostly dead because he had been in that grave for four long days. And in case you missed the point, it's the sister who turns to Jesus and says, but Lord, in the old King James, he stinketh. There's going to be a terrible smell. Now, if anyone could be forgiven for gathering Mary and Martha and everybody else around and saying, hey, don't worry, it's going to be fine. Everything's going to be okay. Wouldn't that be Jesus? who indeed knows that, in the grand scheme of things, this is precisely why he's come, so that everything might be fine. And yet, that's not what he says. At the very beginning of the chapter, 
Jesus says this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. He starts saying that there's a greater meaning to this death, but he does not say just, hey, it's going to be fine. Or what he says later to the disciples, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. That seems like terribly bad pastoral guidance. Yeah, I heard that grandma was in the hospital, but boy, was I ever glad that I couldn't be there with you. I don't think any pastor that says that would be welcome in the pulpit fully with open arms the next Sunday. Or even when he encounters Martha and says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Not exactly a, hey, don't worry, everything's going to be fine. In fact, the closest that Jesus gets to saying that phrase that is often on the tip of our tongue is when he says, your brother will rise again, which is the Jewish equivalent, sort of, of saying everything's going to be fine. But it's the case that proves the point, isn't it? Because what's Martha's reaction to those words? Well, yeah, I know, Lord, on the last day, he's going to rise again, sometime far off in the future, in the great ever after. Which, again, is the nice, polite response to, everything's going to be fine. Thank you, I know it is. Even though in your heart, that's the last thing that you're feeling. You saw Martha. Where was Martha at? She was distraught. She was in grief. And her bones were dry. Are your bones dry? If they're not by now, they will be. How do I know that? Because in the very, very beginning, God said to Adam, it is not good that man be alone. We're just not built to be alone. We're built to be in community with other people. We're built to be feeling touch of other people and the hug from somebody else and close conversation one-on-one. -on -one. My boss, Pastor Ted Cray, is a great traveler because he really appreciates being able to be with people face to face, to have a conversation. And as great as Zoom is, and as great as Skype is and FaceTime, it is not in the end a replacement for actually being with someone. The longer we spend in isolation, the longer we spend in quarantine, the more we are gonna feel that our bones are dry and our hope too is clean cut off. Now, we didn't need the COVID virus to know this. People have been feeling this in the Western world long before it actually turned into a self-quarantine. I get the emails. I get the Facebook messages from the people that feel like their bones are dry and they are clean cut off, that they are depressed, that they are alone, that there is nobody there to talk to. And that was long before the government came and said no more gatherings of more than 25 or 10 or 5 people. This is a reality in our world that we chose through Adam and Eve in the very beginning to cut ourselves off from God, which in turn meant we got cut off from each other and we ended up with people that get dry bones, that feel like their hope's been cut off and that there is nowhere to turn. I often 
when I explain Jesus's atonement to people who say, why can't God just wave the, wave the magic wand and make sin go away? The illustration of the family that you're visiting, whose vase you break. The vase topples off a standby accident or on purpose. It doesn't really matter. The vase is broken on the floor. And yes, your friends are going to look at you and say, I forgive you, but the vase is still broken. Somebody has to pay for it. Somebody has to put the vase back together again or get a new one. And until that happens, saying it's okay, it's all right, everything is fine, seems pretty shallow and pretty empty. The vase of the world is broken, and we're only seeing it again with the spread of a disease. It doesn't really matter whether it's a disease, whether it's warfare, whether it's local violence, whether it's unemployment, whether it's economic disparity, whether it's just the plain old meanness that we have one towards the other on Facebook or Twitter or even in person. These are all of the visible signs of the broken vase of the world. And if God is going to come in the flesh and look at us and say, it's okay, it's fine, he better have some means of putting the vase back together. And that's what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous judge requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Now to translate that into easy to understand English. Jesus, in his self, in his life and body and death, has defeated death and disease and become the resurrection and the life. Now it's no more a question of just saying everything is going to be all right. Jesus himself can point and say, at the cross and in the empty tomb, you now know that everything will be all right. The vase is being replaced. And I have borne the cost myself, and I'm now making it a reality for you. Jesus will not just come and say, it'll be all right. Everything's going to be fine. Not without making things right, and not without ensuring that things will be fine. And so Lazarus lives. Lazarus's bones were dry. Four days in the grave dry, flesh sloughing off of those bones dry. Lazarus's body was not fine. It was not all right. But the word spoke, and the father listened, and the spirit breathed back into Lazarus's body life and breath. And he came out of that grave and was able once more to enjoy community and life with his friends and his family and his teacher and Lord, Jesus Christ. This miracle is the game changer. And the Pharisees knew it. Because this is the world being changed. And you're either going to be exhilarated by this or absolutely terrified. And so the chief priests and the Sadducees and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. And if you've been reading John's gospel, you know that at every turn, the Pharisees kept asking Jesus to perform a sign. 
there were never enough signs. And now the problem is too many. And not just too many, but the raising of Lazarus was the last straw. If we let Jesus go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But listen well to Caiaphas' prophecy. If you all lost, you all lost audio, put your thumbs up if you can still hear me. Okay, the messages are just coming through slow. Okay. Listen closely to what Caiaphas says. You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. Better a few sickly people and old people die than that the whole economy suffer, right? This is the calculus that humans make in our sinful nature. This is how we go about trying to make things right how to go and tell everybody everything is going to be fine. It's the kind of math we do. And so while raising Lazarus won't be enough to make things right, it does reveal what our hearts are really like. Instead of looking at Jesus and saying, maybe he really is the Messiah, we double down and say, surely this man needs to die. Jesus has cured the blind. He's given walking ability back to the paralyzed. He's turned water into wine. He has spoken with the Samaritan woman and Pharisee teachers alike. He has fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. He has walked on water. He has calmed storms, and now he has raised the dead. And so we killed him. How's that for fine? How's that for things being all right? Because that's what dry bones do. Make more dry bones. It is why it must be God. It must be God alone who can come and make things right. God alone who can come and say, it's going to be fine. So the very end of our gospel reading segues beautifully into next week, Holy Week, beginning with the triumphal procession of Jesus into Jerusalem, that last supper with the disciples, his betrayal, his trial, his crucifixion, his burial, and then, of course, his resurrection from the dead. At first, there'll be rejoicing when Jesus arrives, then a last meal, and then things go downhill from there. But through all of those things, sin will be forgiven, death will be undone, the devil will be defeated, and then we will know, finally, that all things are right and that everything is fine when we see the holes in his hands and can say, we are happy to see the Lord. Only in the light of Jesus's crucifixion and resurrection is it ever possible to say, things are gonna be fine. Everything's going to be all right. But in light of Good Friday and Easter Sunday, we alone are the ones able to tell a hurting and anxious world that yes, everything will be okay. Our premier in his press conference of a few days ago said, we've got to pull through this thing together. We've got to come through this together as a people. And he said, someday we're going to be telling the story to our kids and grandkids of COVID-19 
and the great quarantine of 2020 and how the whole community pulled together to get through this. What makes it truly possible to pull together and do this and see that there will be a light at the end of the tunnel is the light shining, not just out of Lazarus's empty grave, but out of our Lord's. That because his tomb is empty, we know that our tombs will be empty. Because he has died for our sins, we know that there is no more guilt. And because he promises to return for us, we know that whatever we have to bear for the next few days or weeks or months, Christ will be there at the beginning, in the middle, and at the end. And so we as Christians can say, you know what? It's going to be fine. It's going to be all right. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.